You're listening to The Mullet Cast, the podcast where business and pleasure collide. With your host. Say my name, say my name. Evan Balmer, Evan Balmer. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Have a nice day. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Mullet Cast, the podcast where business and pleasure collide. My name is Evan Balmer. Follow me on Instagram at Evan Balmer. Our guest today is Tim Donnelly. Tim's a producer, writer, consultant, Jersey uh, AF, we'll say, on Facebook Live. Um, he's also founder partner at See Here Now. Um, follow him on Instagram at Donnelly C, which is D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y-S-E-A. What's going on, Tim? Good morning, man. How are you? Good. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. That's cool. Um, so one of the first things you told me is you're the son of a third generation Elizabeth fireman. And I see you got your Elizabeth fire department yeah. hat on. Um, and your brother was the fourth generation, right? Yeah. So it goes all the way back to basically like the Civil War time. Wow. Uh, the Donnelly involved with, um, you know, first responders in Elizabeth. So it's all the way back to horse and carriage wow that's insane yeah, yeah it's pretty heavy so do you have photos of like the first generation yeah car? actually when uh when my, my dad passed last year and, uh, sorry. And, uh, i was able to dig in a bunch of boxes and right. i saw some pretty old stuff i can show you on the phone wow. afterwards yeah but like uh my grandfather red jack my dad was my dad was on the older side he was 91 when he died so he was uh -huh. the greatest generation he was born in 1927 right, right? so my grandpa was you know, born in the 1800s wow so I got to see these photographs of my grandfather and how he sits like this. Right. Yo, that's me. Really? <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> kind of freaky. Really? Yeah. And kind of like the thousand yard stare that we, yeah. So it was, it was kind of funny. That's uh, pretty that, cool. That, yeah. So we'd be able to tap that in. And you know, Elizabeth was, you know, one of the, you know, cradles of the American revolution and all that kind of stuff. I'm right. kind of a history buff too. So it kind of, you know, that's kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. So how did your family end up in Elizabeth? Uh, man, my, uh, my dad's family originally came from Donegal in Ireland through Brooklyn and then ended up in Elizabeth. Right. Um, my mother, somehow ended up in Elizabeth from um, Berlin, New Hampshire, which is at the foot of Mount Washington. Oh, so wow. my mother's French Canadian full on right. from like way north of New Hampshire. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. So were you growing up, did you live in Elizabeth for a little while before you moved to Jer we, down Jersey Shore? We lived in Elizabeth, then we bounced to Linden. And then when I was like eight, we got out of Linden uh, and we moved to the Silverton section of Tom's River in 76. Wow. 77. Right. Yeah. That's cool. So that's where, I mean, I don't think many surfers come out of Elizabeth. So probably once you got down in Tom's River area, right. you started getting into surf culture. Yeah, it was, uh, I'd say, sixth to summer between sixth and seventh grade. I kind of got the, you know, uh, I wasn't afraid of when I got bounced around in the ocean. Right. I kind of like enjoyed it. You right. know what I mean? Which is the exact opposite of a lot of kids, I think. Right. And so, yeah. And then, uh, you know, of course, you were, were boogieing because boogieing was like super new then. You yeah. know, it wasn't like a thing. Right. In 1978, it wasn't a thing. Right. <laughs> you know, you you rode a plastic surfboard. Right. Or, you know, you rode uh, uh, a little thing that would attach to your hand, you know, like a, you know, or a raft, actually. Probably the first thing I probably rode. That's true. Was a raft. I remember a lot of people, those blue and yellow rafts. Those blue and yellow rafts. That's like probably wars, the, Exactly. Right? That's <laughs> probably the first thing that I rode. That's true. In, in Ortley Beach. My dad probably rented it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my whole boogie board evolution was like. My first board was an Aussie, mm -hmm. which because that was like the cheap one. So like I was, you know, my sights were set on a yeah. Mori boogie and yeah. I was like saving up to mm -hmm. get that, you know. Mm -hmm. So like the Aussie was like my first, the orange and white one. Mm -hmm. But boogie boarding was awesome. I yeah. And then, the, I mean, but, I, you know, I tried to stand up surfing, but the issue was that back then, like, you know. You tried, you learned on whatever board was cool at the time. Like, there was no such thing as beginner boards or, you know, whatever. You just rode what you tried to ride. And if you could stand up on it, you could surf. Right. 
And I remember having like this really small lightning bolt surfboard that I could never stand up on. Uh, okay. And then I was also an athlete in the, in the fall. And then I just decided just to, you know, my God, I, I really like boogie boarding and I'm actually pretty good at it. Mm. And, you know, I'm riding waves and that just right. kind of just what happened with me with that and yeah. just stuck with it. And, you know, I'll, I'll get up on a stand up paddle every now and again and it's pretty comical. Yeah. You, know? you still boogie board? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. sweet. Yeah. I had a similar experience. Like I, uh, so I boogie boarded a lot, wanted to learn how to surf. And of course, like I do the same thing. It's like I bought the flashiest board of what I thought looked cool. Right. Had no common sense for this is a good board to learn right. on. Right. It was like a fox and it had like camo on the front and like all right. that. It was just like I, I stood up, tried to stand up once. The board went straight up in the air. Skeg hit me in the foot. Hurt like hell. I'm missing all these good waves. I was like, screw it. I yeah. threw it on the beach and grabbed my boogie board. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, kind of stayed with that forever. Yeah, but that, but that, that, uh, that invention by Tom Ward, the boogie board, and then those fins kind of taking me some pretty cool places. Right. So I'm, I'm very grateful cool. to that. And, and it seemed like whenever, like, I would get off path or whatever, you know, life gets weird or tough, I always find myself back in the ocean. Much cool. Like every time. Really? Every time. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Um, so you say you were a high school athlete, played hoops? I played basketball at Tom's River North. Hoorah. Yeah, we were terrible for like the first 25 years of the school's existence. I right. mean, terrible. I mean, they were awful. I don't think, you know, like they didn't have a winning season. Really? And then uh, my junior year, things kind of turned around. I think they made, I knew we made the state playoffs, so that means we had to be 500. And then my senior year, we were, we were good. We right. Made, yeah. So that was kind of a big thing because it was like a, the Tom's River schools and Tom's River South just dominated us, right? Mm -hmm. And then Lakewood dominated us. Right. And then, like, Tom's River East, like, showed up. Uh, and then they were beating us. And they were a new school. And it was just, like, Manchester was beating us up. And then right. we'd come play in the summer league up here in Asbury Park. Neptune and Long Branch would just, like, they kill us, you know? And it right. was just – it was, like – demoralizing right. and then finally it was like the right guys that you know we had come up together and then that summer coming up here to play in the summer league with asbury neptune long branch right we were like kicking ass really holding our own that's cool and then all of a sudden it was like oh my god we could be pretty good and and we won and and it, and it was super cool and and that was uh Believe it or not, when it comes down to business and it comes to production and everything I do, like 35 years later, it's just like one of those things with like never give up. Mm. Don't give up before the miracle happens. Right. Don't give up five minutes before the miracle happens. Right. 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 Like seriously. And uh, I remember we were we were playing in the Ocean County Christmas tournament, which is the WOBM tournament at Ocean County College. Right. And the gym was packed, and, and it was like the week between Christmas and New Year's. And uh, we were playing Manchester, and they were really, really good. They had this guy. They had these brothers, Earl and Chuck Carney, man. And they were un they were unstoppable, these right. dudes. They were, they were unstoppable. And um, they were beating us by like 18 points with like four and a half minutes left. Right. I swear to God. And we came back. And this is pre-three-pointer, maybe, This right? is pre-three-pointer. Seriously, <laughs> right. it's a lot of baskets, dude. It's a lot of totally. baskets. But, you know, and, and but but that was, like, something. And then, like, you know, we were there, like, the Asbury Park Press called us, like, the cardiac kids because we would come uh, from behind and cool. win all these games and whatnot. But that, that was just like, kind of, like, something of, like, never give up. And right. I still talk to those dudes. Do you? Yeah, I still talk to that's those cool. dudes. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's an intense experience. Yeah. Did yeah. you think about, like, uh, basketball sucks, like, after a freshman, sophomore, junior year and think about quitting ever? No. Yeah, yeah, because like, because we were losing so much, and right. I was injured, and there was like completely horrendous attitudes that mm -hmm. were before us, like the upperclassmen and right. stuff. They just didn't get it. Right. They just didn't get what being a team was. Right. You know. So yeah. you know, it was, yeah. So I honestly, you know, that really helped going forward in collaborative processes and, and, and team that's, oriented stuff for that's sure. cool yeah and you were into music and a, a newspaper editor at that time yeah which I seemed mean, like things that were a big part of your life later yeah yeah it's it's, it's kind of like I, I knew what i liked when i was 16 or 17 it was mm. just like you know how is that going to manifest and that was during the time when you know man the music business was a big thing mm. you had record stores on every corner that were pushing product you right. had like FM rock radio everywhere you went growing up in Tom's River you got Philadelphia radio and New York City radio right so you know it you know it was a, it was a huge thing right and uh, plus there were shows that were available 
for 12 and 13 year olds to go to without their parents. Right. So we would go to Great Adventure on a Friday. Right. Seriously. And there was always a concert every Friday at Great Adventure. Totally. They they used to have some good ones. They used to have some really good ones. Right. Like really good shows. Sure. You know, um, I was there when the Haunted House burnt down, Golden Earring uh, Show. Remember that? I remember when it burnt remember down. That? I didn't yeah. know it was Golden Earring Show. Golden Earring. That's Radar funny. Love. Right. Oh, yeah, dude. Totally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's yeah, we sweet. used to. And that was kind of like uh, the precursor for going to Madison Square Garden and, you know, going to the Spectrum and JFK and all totally. that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever remember, did you go to any of those WNEW shows on the Asbury Beach? Yeah, we went to the Georgia Satellites one. Oh, uh, that's Yeah, cool. I don't know. remember what year that was. Uh I remember uh, it didn't turn out so well. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I don't know if I was at that one. Uh, I was at yeah. one, and like there was this tiny stage on the boardwalk, like it wasn't the main stage, and the band was the Hooters. Yeah, man. And there were like five people standing there, and they're like, uh, "This is like from our sister station, MMR, a big right. band out of Philly." Right. And I was like, one of ten people there watching them, and then they blew up. Like right. you know, it was cool. Just. I mean, that's a nice foreshadowing to like what scene here now became like, because there were times where the beach was friggin' packed of people with like, you know, tons of people, NEW beach towels. It was like a right. big event. And you know? There was also two Tony Pellegrosi, the man, uh, back in the early nineties, man, doing surf stock on the beach at Joey Harrison surf. Uh, that's cool. You know, in conjunction with one Oh six, three back in the day. And, and right. you know, that was kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know, for me, for my generation, like the NEW stuff was kind of like towards the tail end of it. I call it mm-hmm. and then i remember we went once yeah, a lot of like like something like grain alcohol water right. <laughs> you know what i mean right, and i right. remember vaguely like getting in trouble because we had to take the train back to point and right. figure because there was no way to get to asbury back then there was totally. no uber right so you had to take a train you had to get to the train station in bayheader point and right come up here yeah and when you didn't have a car that right. wasn't easy no true you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny. Like now you know? that you mention it, like I'm trying to figure out how the hell did I get down there? Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. funny. Maybe I mm-hmm. rode my bike. I have exactly. No clue. Right. It's pretty classic. Um, so you mentioned Joey Harrison. That's somewhere yeah. you ended up like post. What was like your post high school life like? Um, I went to Ocean County College mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it was it was funny because it, uh, it was uh we had surfing we had live music we had like a scene amongst ourselves we were all like living in these winter rentals and like seaside heights and Mm -hmm. seaside park and Ortley beach and like it was cool because there was nobody over there it's like being on a desolate island you go to class and then you go to somebody's house and you'd surf or there'd be a house party or you know there'd be somebody playing at the fast lane or the green parrot or you know it was cool that is cool yeah it was it was it was it was a fun existence and met a lot of different people during that time from like you know met kids from long beach island Mm -hmm. you know would go down there you know um met kids from manasquan so there was kind of like this kind of everybody kind of felt like it felt like 1985 1986 1987 the jersey shore if you were a certain age and you were around if and you were into the same things you kind of sought each other out right at these places you know yeah like the inkwell right right yeah that was like the spot totally yeah that's cool yeah nice um so you got into what did you do at bodyboarding magazine and then surfing magazine? Were so yeah, so the the first time I ever got published mm-hmm. as as a writer, um, there was a tragic accident in like Long Branch and somebody died in, in the water, wow. right? And um, I wrote a story about it, and then the editors over at Surfing Magazine were like, "Wow, this kid can kind of write because." Mm-hmm writing a story like that for the first time you ever got published is like, you're really telling a story and somebody passed away and you had to be respectful for for the whole thing. It's not an easy thing to write, especially when you're just starting out. Right. Just not, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I guess I nailed it. And then they were like, uh, so you're a bodyboarder. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, you're going to start working for Bodyboarding Magazine because you can write. That's cool. Um, and then that opened up uh, a couple of doors with me doing, um, a bunch of stuff at bodyboarding and then kind of like when, you know, contests and like, you know, product guides and a little bit of newsy things here. But that's uh, that magazine was like almost like all photograph driven yeah. you know, in the late 80s. Right. Um, and then uh, once bodyboarding kind of folded, 
um, that those same guys were running Surfing Magazine, and they brought me in on that fold, and they brought me in as a music editor. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, nice. and I did that for a long time. Right. Yeah. Do you remember why you wrote the story about the Long Branch incident? It was like one of those things of like where it was it was a compelling story, mm. and and um, and and it was just one of those things of where back then, man, you had to call. <laughs> call them, send them a fax or send them a snail mail letter that they would open up. Right. And I remember calling them, pitching them, them saying yes, and then me writing it. Mm. And it was also during the time when looking back at it now, I, I kind of know like the business side of why they said yes is because that was the time when the surf industry was completely popping off. Everybody was making a ton of money and right. New Jersey, there was a lot of trunks being sold in New Jersey. Right. Yeah. You know, and that, and, and that kind of stuff too. And Dick Meserol was just moved to Florida. So there was like Jersey photographs in the magazines and stuff. Right. And you know, this isn't new that New Jersey all of a sudden is like popular in surfing. You sure. know? So, you know, and then you had like the Manasquan crew, which was really heavy then and the casino pier and all those guys were all sponsored. Scotty door was the man and right. Eddie, O'Kin- Eddie O'Kinski and Grog and those guys, they had national platforms. Right. Those guys, they really, they were the Sam's, they were the Sam hammers and mm-hmm. the Rob Kelly, and the Gleasons of right. the day. That's cool. You know? Yeah. yeah. Where was your, like, passion for writing? Where did that come from? And, like, were there influences? I have no idea, man. Mm-hmm. I just read a lot as a little kid. Um, whatever was put in front of me, I was reading. My mom said at, like, a really, really early age, I right. would read everything. Yeah. Read everything. And I kind of learned how to read by reading the daily news every day, my dad would get it. And right. I would, there's like photographs of me, like reading the daily news on the toilet. Right. Like three, <laughs> yeah, you know? Cool. Right. Yeah. And I met Jimmy Breslin once Did before really? he passed. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, uh, I sat next to him on an airplane and, uh, and I told him I learned to read by reading the daily news. That's pretty he cool. He was pissed. Really? <laughs> the f- do you mean you no. learn to read, reading the daily news? You're reading my stuff. You learn to read. Yeah, he gave me some shit. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah, but I felt it was a badge of honor if you got shit totally. from Jim Breslin. I mean, that he kind of, you know, that's really he sparked cool. his interest. <laughs> totally. yeah. I mean, that's yeah. but that's probably why the dude was an original, right? Yeah, just, he gave me like he gave me like a little hug at the end of, uh, that's you know, cool. when we got off the plane. It was very nice. That's funny. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy being like a music editor at that time? Yeah, man, because it was, uh, to be honest with you, it was free CDs. It was free concert tickets. Right. It was, uh, it was, you know, it was that. And then I loved writing about music and I loved going to shows. Yeah. And, and then those relationships um, were kind of forged then that still are there now. It was like the music business was a completely different thing. Yeah. Right. But that's where I got my start. And plus it was like everybody was doing music in all those publications but like you know if you're saying you're a music editor at surfing magazine people picked up the phone because it was cool right right yeah it's, it was super cool totally so that that opened up some doors for us and uh and but you know my writing i, th- I thought was was uh you know uh People dug it, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it was and it was cool. And plus, yeah. you know, I was based on the East Coast too, so I mean, after you know, back and forth, flip flop, back and forth, California, a ton. But you know, uh, so I was, you know, able to get to shows in Philadelphia and New York, right? Which which was cool. That is cool. Yeah. So, do you remember? Like, is there any band that stands out? You're like, damn, I can't believe I got to meet them or cover them or anything. The Ramones. Mm, that's cool. Being able to like. I was in the Ramones' last recording section, really? session in 1996 no at um, at Baby Monster Studios with Daniel Ray, and they were doing California Sun for that mom for that mom record. Okay. Yeah, so being able to uh, became friends with Joey Ramone, have him call me and leave me uh, messages on my answer machine. Right. Yeah, I still have that one tape though. That's really cool. Yeah. He was the best. That's sweet. He completely was the best. At some time in the nineties, me and a buddy did like an email newsletter mm-hmm. and it was called music business daily mm-hmm. and Joey Ramone used to email us. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the coolest friggin' thing ever. He was like from his AOL address. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Tim, hey, 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 Timmy's Joey's Joey Ramone. No, no shit. Nobody in the world sounds like you leaving right. a message on a voice on a, on a, answering machine. yeah yeah what were they like in the studio um they hated each other did they yeah johnny came in like after every you know johnny and cj and, and marky were there and joey came uh, uh cj um 
Yeah, Marky Ramon and uh, and Johnny were there, and they, and they laid down the track, and then Joey came in hours later. Right. Yeah. 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 And right. I and I watched the uh, I watched a Yankee game <clears throat> uh, was on during it was a day game. They're playing the Orioles. Never forget this. And I got to watch the Yankees with Johnny Ramon. No way. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. I I just didn't talk politics with him. I talked baseball with him. Right. You know. Right. And that was amazing. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was a badass. He scared the shit out of me. Did he really? Fuck. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Joey was like the lovable Muppet. Right. You know, and 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 like, but Johnny Ramone was like he, Johnny Ramone was not unlike all the other Irish Catholic cops and firemen that I grew up with in my mm, family. Right. <laughs> right. That's funny. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That is funny. Uh-huh. That's cool. So around that time you're sort of melding like your interest in surfing, environment, music, yeah. all that stuff. You mentioned like the mom music for Mother Ocean. How did all of these so, things so go about? So when uh, in high school, uh, growing up in Tom's River in the 80s, we had the childhood cancer clusters that were basically f- caused by Siva Geigy, right? So I grew up, my classmates died That's from insane. cancer really, and um, lymphomas and leukemia and all other kinds of weird diseases. I was introduced at, at age 18 to a bunch of activists from Greenpeace who were like kind of living at this hippie house that we used to frequent in Lavalette, mm-hmm. right? And so I got to know them and they kind of spurred my activism. Right. Like seriously, like, you know, when you're 17 and there's some dudes from Greenpeace in the living room and everybody's smoking a bone and he's talking, you're listening. It's right. like, you know, oh my God, look at this. Right. And so it kind of spoke to me and it kind of spoke to like, you know, what, what was going on. And it was like, you know, my high school had like the football fields scoreboard was bought by Siba Geigy. And so like they're buying us scoreboards for the football field and wow. yet there's like kids dying, you know, that border their property. Right. right? That's crazy. So that's kind of like, you know, and then we had the ocean dumping in in the late 80s and early 90s in New Jersey where there was, you know, hypodermic needles mm. washing up on the beach. And, right. You know, medi- full on medical waste. You, you're probably old enough to remember yeah, that. Totally. Full right. on medical waste. Yeah. Freaking body parts. Like it was gnarly, right? right. So that kind of piqued my interest too. And then, you know, uh, there was no internet back then, mm. you know, so you couldn't really, your former protest was like, former protest was actually going somewhere going somewhere with a sign or chaining yourself to something and getting locked up or getting in trouble or or whatever so um yeah so surfrider foundation was just starting out Mm -hmm. and um i thought what they were doing in california was really great and i went to a trade show in atlantic city uh surf expo uh uh sorry asr um, down Atlantic City, Access Sports Retailer, met these people from Surfrider, really hit it off, graduated college, they offered me a job. Wow. Moved to California and moved to Huntington Beach working for Surfrider Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped form the chapters uh, all over the country. Wow. So the Jersey chapter. You launched. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Central Florida, New Jersey, Cape Cod. All over California, Oregon, Seattle. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then who knows? One day the phone rings and it's the William Morris Agency saying that Perry Farrell would like the Surfrider Foundation to go out on the first Lollapalooza tour. No way. And I'm like, and I knew what Lollapalooza was. Right. And I was like, yeah, sign us up. That's killer. And there we go. Wow. Yeah. So it was almost like my life leading up to that point was kind of geared towards this kind of moment, right? Right. Of, of all these things that I'm into and, and that kind of stuff. Mm. And so that kind of just launched in with, with everything when it comes to music and, you know, falling in love with festivals and math gatherings and, right. you know, people being there for a singular purpose. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. And Perry Farrell, I mean, he's like a mad genius because he was doing stuff like that at the time that no one else was doing right mm-hmm. like who else was thinking about it? you know what i need this surf rider foundation out here on this one or just even distributing information at a festival that kind of right stuff. yeah i mean that was that was the beginning of social you know music activism right. in, in that way when merging these nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. uh with bands right and stuff that was happening yeah, yeah that's cool yeah um so where do you go from there so would you were you still writing at the time you yeah were yeah writer? yeah i was still i was still writing and 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 you know exploring all those avenues and having kind of those doors open and and then 
and then I actually got snatched up from the Surfrider Foundation. Then I was working with a clothing company called World Jungle, which mm-hmm. was based out of Laguna Beach. Um, and then um, I came home and brought World Jungle back to the East Coast and was still like kind of like the Pied Piper for the Surfrider Foundation all over the East Coast. Right. Opening up all these chapters, doing the trade shows. Um, and then like going out on the road. So now Surfrider was being invited to go table at Pearl Jam shows mm. and still do Lollapaloozas and that kind of stuff. Right. And then um, and then a friend of mine who I knew from working at Joey Harrison Surf Club um, was working at MTV and he called me and hired me as a writer. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. What yeah. kind of writing? What were you doing at MTV? I was doing, I was writing all the words that were coming out of the VJ's mouths. Right. So what they were saying, they didn't make that up. Some guy wrote it. Right. And they were reading off a teleprompter. So that's what I did. So I did like the top 10 videos with Adam Curry. I did Alternative Nation with Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I did, you know, Most Wanted with Bill Bellamy. So that was like during the heyday. It was like Duff, Bill Bellamy, Kennedy, right. Adam Curry. Uh, that was like the first DJ contest where they took some schmuck off the street and they made him a VJ. So I was involved with that. <laughs> right. This guy, John Sencio, poor guy uh-huh. that they plucked from, you know. Right. Uh, and then that was like uh, MTV Beach House in the Hamptons, Ski House in, in Vermont, uh, back to school, all that kind of stuff. Right. I worked all that kind of crap. That's yeah. cool. It was crazy. Yeah. It was really crazy. I can I can imagine. Yeah. Produce you think doing this is hard? Try to produce daily television. Oh yeah. I bet it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Totally. <laughs> so did you get the bug for like music business at that time? Yeah, well kinda, because it was one of those things that was weird. So I had all these music industry connections during that time too. Right. So I got this job at MTV and then like once those industry connections found out that I was working at MTV, everybody would try to freaking backdoor you, right? right? So I'd have somebody like inviting me to a show and I'd have really great access and there to be somebody from MTV who was there be like okay who is that guy he works for us and why is he here right and it's like well I had a relationship before I even walked in the door with right. him right so it's kind of been like that my whole life God, that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that is cool uh-huh. so where do you go from there so obviously you were in like a lot of big events with uh yeah I was living and working in New York City not not caring about the ocean it's living um the, uh, man New York City in the 90s mm. Psh, man come on right there was like I gotta put this there were music clubs mm-hmm. that had really great bands yep everywhere right there was hip-hop coming out of all these great clubs there was a mixing and a blending especially downtown of punk rock alternative rock hip-hop and gay culture which was kind of like under this like kind of all one kind of thing Mm. right right um so that was like you know uh Going to hip hop for at Peggy Sue's, it was going to the limelight, it was CBGB's, it was Brownies, it was Don Hills, it was like it was, you know, right, the Roxy, it was, it was all that kind of cool stuff. Right. And so, I was kind of lost in the sauce of that, yeah, for a while, living that New York City lifestyle, you know, wearing black, smoking cigarettes, you know, right, whatever, staying out late, yeah, you know, doing that whole stuff, totally, yep. I have a fond memory for all those clubs. I mean, it, it was like such a great time, yeah, like one of the. Uh, like CMJ was going mm-hmm. on a lot then. I yep. remember a CMJ opening night at Limelight mm-hmm. being just insane. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so many great bands. All the the Wetlands, Wetlands, the Wetlands was the Wetlands was like one of the um, you know going there uh, was just you know that that place was like a dream. Yeah, that was like a combo of activism and music. Yeah. And for um, Jersey kids too, it was perfect because it was right on the other side of the tunnel. Yes, right. So it was it was awesome. Right, you easy know? in and out. Yeah. One of the still one of the most memorable shows I've ever seen was at Wetlands, and it was this band called Two Skinny Jays, mm-hmm. and they were sort of like hip hoppy <laughs> and all yeah, that I stuff. Those. And it happened to be President's Day, right? Right. These dudes come out dressed as Abe Lincoln, and their first song, like they dropped Abe Lincoln into every one of their lyrics. Right. Like their managers, like standing by the amps, like they were. It's such a memorable show. Uh-huh. It's like amazing. <laughs> Um, they were cool. But yeah, so many great bands yeah. cruising yeah. through there. That was awesome. So how do you make your way back to Jersey from the city? Uh, man, it was it was one of those things where uh, it, th- that's the one thing about New York City, right, is especially if you grew up around here, that's kind of like if you want to ever do anything, 
in your life, you got to go to Manhattan. Totally. Right? That right. Was especially that was like my mentality. Yeah. I did it, right? I raged. And it was like, you know, there's a certain point where the Big Apple chews you up and it spits you out. Yeah. Does to a lot of people. Totally. And you either, you know, there's two ways you can do it. You make stronger, or you give into it, and you give up. Right. And so, you know, I never gave up and just changed, you know, environment and, mm. and kind of, you know, came home, but also started going out on the road and, and working a lot because there's, you know, just not a lot of work down, you know, in this area, even though I was still working in New York, but it was like, you know, I was going more on the road getting gigs gotcha. at that point. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, you mentioned in some notes, you sent me meeting Danny in 2004. Well, Danny and I have known each other forever yeah. uh, since the eighties. Our, our moms went to church together. No way. Yeah. And then uh, when we were we were both working on the beach in Ortley Beach, mm. uh, he was a lifeguard. I was a badge checker. And then I uh, I was like the roving badge checker guy. Right. It was great. It's I'd like steal your beer and like <laughs> drink it that night. Right. And, you know, as you got a badge. That's awesome. And it's the most ironic thing because uh, I've never bought a beach badge in my life. Really? Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. I, I just become buds with the badge checker closest to my house. Usually, right. That's you know? funny. When it works. Yeah. <laughs> right. I haven't. That's Cool. Yeah, seriously, I, I, it's All like right. one of my things. <laughs> That's awesome. Beach badges are a crime, my buddy Smith. I would say, uh, yeah. ironically, it's a badge of honor. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Danny and I met then, and then uh, you know when I was just starting out, and he was just starting out, we would we'd hang out in Manhattan, and then uh, and then uh, you know we had a really fun time, and and then uh, you know we I left, came back. He was doing his thing, head down those grindstone. You know, we were always in, in touch. And then, but that was kind of like when uh, the video stuff really started to pop off mm. for him. And uh, Bonnaroo started, and we were running all the filming at Bonnaroo because I had all that MTV experience, writing experience, storytelling experience, all this other stuff. So it was kind of like a natural kind of progression to right. go in and start making these music documentaries. That's cool. Yeah. Who were you interested in, like, following or? Who were you into at that time? Oh, so that was kind of like, that was kind of, I look at it this way. The world pretty much changed in 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been on the smartphone. And iTunes. People were ingesting and consuming music and culture in a different way. Little, you had the uh, the music business behemoth of like, you had to be on Epic Records or Columbia or Warner Brothers to do anything was no longer the case, right? right? So you had like jam bands, indie hip hop, all kinds of stuff popping up mm-hmm. everywhere, right? So that was probably 2002 or whatever. Man, I was all about Jack White. I was about the Black Keys. Mm. I was about my morning jacket. I was like, you know, still my love for Pearl Jam, still my love for the Grateful Dead that I've always had since I was a kid. Mm. And, you know, punk rock was different because it like, you know, everything became bastardized or like, you know, pale imitations of what it once was. Right. Seriously, it did. Right. And so to me, that was kind of like the new authentic stuff was that kind of stuff. And mm. that kind of like, you know, reinvigorated you know, my kind of thought process and like we were there to document it much like I was there to document the beginning of it all in 91. Mm, right. So yeah. and then it's like, so I was there in 91 when Lollapalooza kind of changed the world and changed the model. And I was on the ground floor and I was part of that, you know, part of those agents of change. I was there, mm-hmm. you know, I was in the middle of it, you know, right. um, if I ever write a book, I've got some really great stories. I bet. So, you know, and, and then see, so here in 2004, so, you know, I, I really think it changed. And now here we are like, you know, 20 years later, pretty much, you know, it's what are 15 years later. Right. And it's like, okay, so this kind of thing has morphed into, um, festival culture in America. Right. And then mm. you've got Coachella and Bonnaroo and, and, you know, uh, I fell in love with what those guys did at Bonnaroo. Mm-hmm. I, I just fell in love with the whole thing. Right. Um, and it was, you know, my favorite weekend of the year for 14 years, pretty wow. much That's going cool. out there. Right. Yeah, I bet. So is that where the idea for See Here Now was born? No. No, See Here Now was born. Uh, See Here Now, uh, the the festival I do was always in my head, right? Mm. It was always like, oh, my God. Because I was on the first Lollapaloozas, man. So, right. like, you know, we were t- I was part of that team that was, like, going into, the, like, these vacant fields and putting up a music festival. Right. And then leaving, right? Right. 
so like we would do like when we went to Waterloo Village for the first couple ones mm-hmm. all the way out in Northwest Jersey, which was epic, right? right. Just so ep- it was just so epic, and and see how it, it how the festival business has morphed into it. So it's ironic that we're talking on Hurricane Sandy Day, mm. right? Right. So. Before I got here, before Sandy, I was living and working. I went to New Orleans after Katrina. Right. Okay. And I worked. I went down. I was working with Danny. And Michael Stipe contacted, contracted Danny's production company to go down and shoot a bunch of stuff in New Orleans and report on the lack of recovery in New Orleans. Wow. I went down there. We made a movie. We're making like this film. And I met these people down there who, like, I, like, really got along with, like, right off the bat. Like, the first 30 seconds of meeting them, I was like, wow, man. This mm. is... I kept going back. I kept going back. I kept going back. And eventually, I stayed. So, I was there for two years after Katrina, like, when shit was popping off. Right. right? And I was helping run the Tipitinas, the nightclub. Yep. The Seminole nightclub. And the, and the foundation. And then I worked on this Fats Domino tribute album. No way. That had, like... Paul McCartney and Neil Young and Elton John on it, right? And so when I did all that work, I came home after that because it was like, it was heavy, man. Like I had to get out of there after three years. I came home, got a house in Seaside Park, you know, surfing, getting back to it. Asbury starting to pop off, right? Mm-hmm. Come to Asbury with Danny. My old friend Marilyn Schlossback opened up the Langosta Lounge. I right. walk into the Langosta Lounge with Danny. I see a waitress. And I'm like, man, who's that? it's bridget shortly moved to asbury that later fall you know 10 years ago this week we start going out whatever so sandy hits right and i'm in new orleans oh wow i can't get home right i'm working the voodoo festival in new orleans i am watching anderson cooper report from convention hall from a hotel room in New Orleans. Right. That's insane. Okay. Insane. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm watching the TV, finding out that the Cranberry Inlet in Ortley Beach, Seaside Heights just broke through and all that water was pushing towards the Barnegat Bay, back into the Silver Bay in the neighborhood I grew up in where my elderly parents are still in the house because they refuse to be evacuated. Uh-huh. So I'm calling my dad telling him that the water is going to be coming. It just broke through. The Seaside Heights police chief was just on CNN. Mm. Um, you guys got to go. Right. And so they eventually got rescued out of the house. Like, big, bad thing, right? Yep. Terrible thing. I get back into town like 36 hours later, and it was just like the worst thing I could ever imagine. Right. 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 And everything had changed. Mm. My whole childhood memories were wiped out. The neighborhood I grew up in was wiped out. The Seaside Heights boardwalk was wiped out. Totally. All my all my DNA was just completely, you know, mm-hmm. strewn all over the place. It started with a bunch of surfers. Um, this guy John Rose came down with this organization called Ways for Water. He organized all the surfers on the Jersey Shore. I swear to God, man, we all got together in these warehouses. We got together in a warehouse in, in Lakewood, mm-hmm. Ergo Clothing Company. And we divvied up the sit the the state by sections and which guy who was gonna like be in charge of it. Right. So I dove in and worked in Ortley Beach and in Asbury Park on recovery. I was like one of the lead dudes on that. So wow. I did that. And I did that for like week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Every day. It was horrible. I believe it. It yeah. was gut wrenching, but it had to happen, right? So gutting houses for grandmas and old ladies, trying to save people's homes, especially people who didn't have this wasn't their second home. Right. This is the home may have been given to them. This is all they had. They would have been completely homeless, right? right. So I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm ripping out, you know, I'm stripping houses to the studs. What can I do with my experience from what I learned in New Orleans and all these years? What can we do? And that was all right, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a benefit concert. Mm. Before Sandy hit, I was doing this party called See Here Now, which was in an empty storefront on the Asbury Park boardwalk where I took art from my friends, right. musicians who were my friends, stuck a keg in the corner, and had parties. Right. 
and it got really popular and we did really well with it. Right. And then Sandy literally came the week after the one see her now party went through the front door, out the back door and we found pieces of art, like all the way down the grand Avenue. Right. Right. So fast forward, I'm like, got splinters. I'm exhausted from doing all the demo. And I said to Clinch, I was like, I called Danny. I was like, yo, let's do a benefit to Paramount. Mm. Because don't forget, Asbury Park was up and running. Seaside, Point Pleasant, Belmar. The stuff was wiped out, man. Right. There was You couldn't do a benefit anywhere. There was no venue to have a benefit except in Asbury Park. Totally. So we came up with an idea. I was looking at routing, saw that my morning jacket was playing in Boston. Mm. Their friends, Danny's and mine, Preservation Hall Jazz Band from New Orleans, my dear friends. Right. And then they said yes. That's and cool. the next thing you know... So we did that. We pulled it off. We raised a bunch of money. We got people back in our homes directly with the money that that we raised. Right. And the cool thing was like, so normally when you do these like fundraisers, there's all these expenses that you have to pay from and it comes out of like ticket sales and all that. Right. So the amount of money that that you have to spend in order to make, you know, the, pre, the people who need the help in the charity always get less than the people actually think that they're going to these events. Sure. Right? They right. really do. Right. I wanted all the profits to go to these people. Right. So we hit up, man, we, uh, we were friends with Sean Avery, the hockey player from the Rangers. Right. <laughs> He's an old Bonnaroo buddy. Right. So he wrote a check for 10 grand. And then he asked Henrik Lundqvist, right? Henrik Lundqvist wrote a check for 25 grand. No way. Right? Right. And then we were still like $18,000 short and covering our, our nut. Right. And then Eddie Vedder wrote us a check wow. to cover everything. That's cool. Right. So we were able to take all that money and then get it directly to people's in their homes. All right. that stuff. Like a month later, Danny's like, I think we can do. I, he was like, what do you think? You think we can do a festival? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we can do a festival. <laughs> right. And he's like, well, what do you want to call it? And I was like, ah, dude, I really like to see here now. I'm right. like, you know, it, it was kind of a cool thing. It's like, you know, surfing, music and art. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Shelved it for a little bit. Right. <clears throat> and then I was like, wow, you know, I noticed a cultural shift at the Jersey Shore after Sandy, right? Did. Things were wiped out. Old stuff was wiped out. New things were popping up, right? right. Um, nail salons became juice bars. Right. Tanning salons became yoga studios. <laughs> right? Right. Right? It's true. Wellness centers instead of like, you know. Right. Cigar shops. You know, hot dog places are like going out of business. Mm -hmm. Like people are starting to kind of change. And I was like, and then you know, gentlemen of the road came to Seaside with Mumford and Sons, right? right. And so uh, those guys contacted Danny and I to help him out a little bit. And then I got a taste of what I could see the possibilities could be mm -hmm. for a show on the beach, in New Jersey, right? Not the bamboozle, right? Because the bamboozle to me was like just like what the name meant, right? <laughs> Really? Right. Right? Right. Eight stages, screaming emo bands. Right. Skrillex. Nah, man. Yeah. You know? So my, my idea was taking the culture of the Jersey Shore. Mm -hmm. How do we perpetuate our culture? Not Snooky, right. Pauly D, and them nasty guidos that would come to Seaside and Ortley Beach. Right. It's not who we are. You know? Yep. The people from... The bottom of that bridge on the on the parkway, mm -hmm. say starting at like Keensburg or Leonardo or whatever, that hug the water all the way down to the tip of Long Beach Island, in between the Atlantic Ocean and Route Nine. Right, man, we're our own culture. Mm -hmm. We really are. We're our own people. Right, and guess what? Some of the coolest motherfuckers in the world come from here. It's true. Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, Bruce Springsteen. What's up? <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously, you know? <laughs> come on. Right. So, Kevin Smith, mm. you know, Jay, all those dudes. Like, seriously, right. right? So, I always knew that we had this thing here. We're like, you know, but how can we bring what we want to do to to our people? Mm. And we see here now. Right. And we dance with so many people, dude. Until like we met this guy, right? And then he, he listened to our elevator pitch, right? So he comes to Asbury Park, first time ever to Asbury Park, right? He sees Bruce Springsteen, first time comes to Asbury Park. <laughs> People been waiting their whole lives, right. never happens, right? Shows up, sees Bruce Springsteen. No Second time he comes to Asbury Park, sees Bruce Springsteen, right? And I'm like, man, you, this is you know. 
you're really lucky. Right. <laughs> it's you're, not like this every day, man. You're not, you're not blessed. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? You're really lucky. Right. Third time he comes, I'll be damned. Wow. Again. Right. This is a sign. His business gets bought out by C3 Presents mm. out of Austin. He calls us saying, hey, you know, let's, let's, let's do this. He saw what we saw. He saw the north end of Asbury Park mm. in that way of two stages. One main stage on the northernmost end, another stage by Convention Hall, another stage in the park. He saw it. Right. Didn't see eight stages. He didn't see 120 bands. Right. He saw quant- you know, quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. You know, he was able to see that. Right. That's cool. Just what we did. Right. And then we have all those years of experience with people that we know. Right. And you've had a lot of experience being at cool festivals. Cool festivals. A lot of experience of failure. Mm-hmm. A lot of experience about not giving up. Right. A lot of experience, just in general. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So what's the biggest obstacle to start a festival? Money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was the town on because board you right can get, Yeah, the town was on board right away because the, I think our pedigree mm. and our partner's pedigree right. of that, you know, they produce Lollapalooza in the city of Chicago in their park. Right. They produce Austin City Limits in, you know, in, with the city of Austin. Right. You know, mm. uh, so uh, the NFL draft they produce also too. So it's those things that made them comfortable. And I think, you know, my pedigree, Danny's pedigree and our partner, H.O. Mallman's pedigree right. as well. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean – but it's money, man. So you you know you got to pay these artists, right? Right. Nobody's. It's it's all about. You can be friends with somebody, but they got to get paid, right? Sure. So it's like you know, yeah. you have to have that money in order to pay the pay the talent, right? Because if you don't have a good lineup, you're dead. Yeah. You're not. You're never. You're not. You're not going to move. Right. It's just. It's just not going to happen. Right. That's true. Especially early on, you know, once like a new festival, that's probably what's driving people's decision, right? Is mm-hmm. like. You know, money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you got? What's the budget? You know? mm-hmm. um, because you have no reputation to be mm-hmm. like, you know, you're not Lollapalooza and like, mm-hmm. oh, I get some cachet out of going mm-hmm. to play Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's intense. Mm-hmm. Um, how hard was it to book acts the first year? We had a uh, we had a hit list of 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 who I thought would work in the kind of vibe I wanted to mm-hmm. set, and most of those guys and gals. We're friends already. So when we called, they knew what it was about. Mm. And we had fair market value for them also. Right. Um, which helps. So, that's, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's cool. And that's how it started. And then we were able to present that vibe that we had thought about and what it could be. Mm. And we were able to do that. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, the other thing I think you guys get right aside from the whole – the music obviously was really quality but the whole experience in general right. like it's i mean that park could be a great festival you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying and then the stages and like mm-hmm. that whole section is like transformed into another place mm-hmm. like i'm walking down i'm like where the hell am i and there's all this cool shit mm-hmm. like from one stage to the mm-hmm. other you know it's like an, it is an experience it's mm-hmm. killer i mean man i mean how looking at that north end of asbury park how beautiful it is mm. The convention hall building, how right. iconic that is, how beautiful the beach looks, how beautiful the sky looks at sunset in that park, Crazy. right? Yeah. How can we take that beautiful stuff that's already there? Mm-hmm. How can we turn it up a little bit and make it super special right. and transform people and transform the experience? So you do that with sound and light. Right. Right, you do that with sound and light, right? Yeah. So the sound is coming from the bands, right? Mm. Have really good music, right? And I think this year, um, more than last year too, is we're able to. I mean, we we're able to light up the property pretty amazingly this year. <laughs> totally, it's kind of transformative. It was like you were transported in, into this space. Yeah, yeah, and it's, we want more of that to come too. Totally. Yeah, it was insane. I'm getting chills right now thinking right. about it because, like, um, 
I forget sometimes how beautiful that place is. Yeah. You know, sometimes you take it for granted. Mm-hmm. There's people who travel around the world to go there, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, or across the country mm-hmm. and to, to experience that. And I can walk down that boardwalk every day. Right. And you got to remember how special, like those buildings are insane. Yeah. Like I remember them from, you know, a kid when like the only shop in there was like Planner's Peanuts or some mm-hmm. shit, but it was still such a beautiful building. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is like 10 years that, you know, I, I worked on the boardwalk for, for 10 years. Uh, this this will be ten years like this week since like my Asbury living and working in Asbury pretty much right. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of work with Master Marquette, especially after Sandy, before Sandy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the transformation of the shops in the Grand Arcade and Convention Hall and. Uh, like stores like Wanderlust mm. and like Betty's Icebox right. and that kind of stuff, you know, kind of defining the culture up there. Yeah. So I was involved with that. And then the um, turning that place around up there, making it palpable for people to come, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember the old beach signs before you came on to the steps. Mm. No. Right? right? Just said no. Remember that? Yeah. Just said no. Right. Wow. How inviting right. is that? Welcome to the land of no. Right. No this, no that, no this, no that, no this. No fun. Right. Right? True. Seriously. Yeah. You can get arrested for surfing in Asbury Park. I had friends of mine who went to freaking jail crazy. for surfing in Asbury Park. So getting rid of that was a was a big thing. And so now here we are, man. Mm. All that stuff has changed. All that, you know, it's it's better. It's palpable. It's real. It's authentic. It's right. what people want. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and I think like another just sort of cool thing that you don't necessarily always focus on, but like the way you guys incorporated like, you know, pork chop, like uh-huh. local artists, local musicians, mm-hmm. local food vendors. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Part of the thing, part of the, one of the things that makes the jazz fest in New Orleans, what it is mm-hmm. and such a destination is that it is a um, celebration of New Orleans, South Louisiana culture. Right. That means food. That means music, mm-hmm. right? So a celebration of the Jersey Shore culture to me is Mud City Crab from Long Beach Island having like Blue Claws from mm-hmm. South Jersey and right. Barnegat Bay. Yeah. That is having Brando's from Asbury Park having the world's greatest meatball sandwich. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, surf taco. Right. That's local 130 seafood. Right. That's Tony's sausages. Yeah. It's culture. It's right. our culture. It's who we are. It's the food that we like. It's who. It's what it is. Right. So there are, you know, and having our food partners jump on board the way they did the first year and now into the second year and mm-hmm. what we're able to do there is great. Local bands too. Hey, there are, there's something happening in Asbury Park. Totally. You know, and those bands that, as I like to say, make it west of Main Street. Mm-hmm. Okay, because there's a lot of bands in Asbury. That they're they're Asbury famous. Yeah, right. Totally. But you got to get you got to play west of Main Street, man. So those bands that are playing west of Main Street that are going out and touring, mm. yeah, come play the festival. We're gonna right. hook you up. Or if you're a legend like Stringbean, right? Yeah, <laughs> who doesn't get much more local than that? Who's playing right. on the boardwalk for free? But Monday he's, nights. But he's also a world class player, though. Right. He's played at the you know the Hill Country Picnic in North Mississippi, right. where the best blues bands in the world play. Yeah. And those guys have played that festival right so of course you know they're gonna play ours totally you know i walked by that dude a couple weeks ago yeah it was like a shitty night yeah and he's on like out in front of lengos mm-hmm. or yacht club yeah like a handful of people and just i'm like this Crushing. dude is so insanely good like, <laughs> so good sick. right yeah yeah really cool mm-hmm. that's cool yeah um so i mean are you riding high from the festival this year no or are there other things that, no like, behind not this? at all yeah no, not at all dude i'm irish catholic man i'm waiting for the other shoe to drop i'm like waiting for the miseries to come take over you know honestly it's like you know <laughs> You're waiting for a ruler no, seriously you know uh, that's fine <laughs> no man it's like it's it's been a long time it's been a lot of hard work mm-hmm. it's just like keeping ourselves focused keeping ourselves grounded right. and you know honestly this thing that we created it's bigger than me it's mm. bigger than danny it's right. bigger than hm it's bigger than our partners right you know and yeah. that's what you would hope something successful to be is it's become bigger than that and right. then it's like okay you know hey whatever man you know it's to me is like the success of something that you're putting onto something here that's kind of like culture defining and fun for people and mm. escape for people right is like you know i <laughs> 
if I was to throw my will into this stuff, man, right? You know, uh, there'd be 15 people there, right? You know, how many people want to go see the bands I read? You know, but it's just one of those things, like you know, just let this thing go, let this thing blossom. Mm. You know, keep keep it focused and you know keep it real and and keep it true to you know why it started, right? You know, and uh, and I think we're gonna be okay if we continue down that path, right? You know? Yeah, I think yeah. that's a great secret. You know, yeah, I think that's how other stuff gets messed up. Is yeah, people lose sight of that yeah it's like you know well here's the thing and here's what's different (laughs) than other poor parts in the country if people don't like what you're doing here they'll tell you they're gonna tell you right (laughs) seriously they totally will they totally will like i was feeling like really good like the like two days after the festival right Right. i was feeling i was feeling like you know i was feeling good like i didn't have like racing thoughts i was content i wasn't freaking out about something i wasn't anxious like right. you get in those situations where there's a lot of pressure on you i'm feeling right. good and wouldn't you know it man somebody came up and just like Psst. <laughs> that's right what was their complaint oh i don't remember but i was in wegmans trying to get some eggs no, and like right. somebody's like you know was like yeah you know it kind of sucked though well great weekend However, here we go. Sweet. Uh-huh. That's yeah. pretty funny. So it just takes you right out. Do you have a favorite moment from the festival this year? Oh, man. The B-52s. They're cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, for what they were for my life uh, from 1979 for, right. as a 12-year-old to a 52-year-old man. Right been in my life for 40 years it's a huge it's a major chunk of my life that they've been in my life right and hearing their songs have always brought a smile to my face right and uh have them have such a good time it's cool and see all those people there watching them right was amazing yeah so I never knew it was amazing. And Fred's from, you know, he graduated from shore regional. I I never knew that until this, like I read it. So I knew that that's cool. So we made a mural of Fred as the homecoming king. (laughs) Right. Awesome. Right. Right? And then I went online and got him a crown and a little trophy. Right. Homecoming king. And then our friend Megan McAlevey, who is like one of the world's best, you know, upholster maker. She makes uh, tattoo signs. It's uh, she's she's amazing. She right. does it for all over the world. So I called her with this request of, "Can you make me a Homecoming King sash?" No, uh, and she did. That's cool. And then I gave it to Fred, who I thought was, I know how this was going to go over, dude. <laughs> right. To be honest with you, I believe it. And he was like, "You should have said Homecoming Queen." Oh wow! And the way he said it to me was like, ah. Oh. Right. But then he was really happy, and he wore it on stage, and he pranced around on right. dancing up on stage with it. Dude, I thought that so was straight great. out of their production. I no, that was that was, that was us. That's yeah, really cool. yeah, that was us. That's fun. That was us. So yeah, but that to me that was really special. So yeah. Totally coincidentally, I didn't know who he was at the time, but I was standing next to Grog at that, at that <laughs> uh-huh. set. And he, yeah. was, he was telling me, he's like, you don't even know right now how much this means to this band. Like, mm-hmm. because of like, you know, the small clubs they played in Asbury over mm-hmm. the years. And like, yeah. yeah, he was so psyched. And Joan Jett, same thing. Yeah, same like, thing. It's right. like, you know, it's like, man, it's like Joan Jett, like she's part of the fabric of this place if you're of a certain age yeah really are right like everybody's got a job everybody's seen john right you know totally yeah yeah it's really cool yeah i love the discovery too because i saw bands like i didn't really know before that put on killer sets Mm -hmm. to me that's like a big part of festivals is like the discovery also that was sweet hey Uh, man as a fifth i how old are you uh 49 all right so you're 49 year old too right I want to turn you onto a band that you've never seen before. Mm. But if your kid's coming with you, who's 13 or 14 or, or 15 or a kid's 20 years old right. and his parents have been like playing Joan Jett or the B-52s or Blondie right. in the car their whole lives, this gives them the opportunity to see them totally. a, with their parent or their uncle or their aunt or, sure. or whatever and have that shared experience. Right, totally. And that's, and that's really meaningful, right? Yeah. So just because you're 49 doesn't mean you're dead. No, absolutely. Right? Right. And just because a kid's 16 doesn't mean that, you know, it's it's like uh it's funny. Neil Young has a saying, equal time for the for the past, the present and the future. Yeah, that's cool. Right? right? And that's kind of like a, like a secret mantra of mine. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Mhm. Awesome. Um what else do you do in your spare time to 
keep it interesting all, even though all this sounds really interesting uh get in the water as much as i can when i'm feeling healthy yeah. uh you know uh, uh we had some crazy family stuff the past five or six years mm -hmm. so coming out on the other side of that and so it's kind of like you know uh kind of taking care of me time and mm. and you know uh starting to we we bought a home so we're dealing with that and you know uh starting to write again a little bit right which is kind of cool and i had a meeting last week with somebody about writing something and and that's like you know what i like about writing man what it's just me that's cool <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the good thing it's and the bad me, thing sometimes man, you know it's just just me that is cool you know so i uh, was just trying to kick that around and i finally have like a kind of like a space where i can do it and you know kind of like a writing space i'm right. not like one of these people that could sit in a coffee shop and write i mean i right. could do that man i mean honestly mm -hmm. if you can sit in a coffee shop and write right and write something meaningful that makes you money yeah you're really talented right because i i, I can't i gotta be like sequestered behind yeah. closed doors and is it like work for i mean do you have to like commit to all right i'm gonna no matter what write this number of words today is it like that or do you get a flow going easily or it depends it's this is weird and it's gonna sound i don't give my words away mm. Right. I don't write for the sake of writing. Mm. I, I, I've never been that guy. I'm an idea guy. I'll put ideas down and do ideas all day long. But right. if I'm got to sit down and write something, I kind of need an assignment. Mm. Right. I, I just do. Right. You know, I can start telling stories from my past and stuff, but right. like, I don't know if I want to do that. Right. Yeah, you know, I've got some really good ones, and probably maybe one of the reasons why I'm friends with these people to this day is because I never did write a story about it. Right. Right. So there's got to, there is something to be said for that, even though in this day and age, nobody cares. Like right. that, that kind of like ethos or things out the window, <laughs> That's right? right? Right. Yeah. That is. But true. no, I mean, uh, writing for me is like, yeah, there's a story that, that's been gestating in my head for 15 years, man. Right. It really has. And one day it just might all pour out. So maybe it's time, man. Maybe it's time. That's cool. Yeah, complete fiction. But it's like, but it's New Jersey. It's kind of life. Is Some of it's autobiographical, but right. it's like, you know, Seaside Heights boardwalk kind of stuff in the 80s that like, right. you know, it doesn't exist. <laughs> the buildings are not there. Yeah, it's right. no longer there. Right. It's a memory. It's gone. It's wiped out. Right. It, if you were there today, it looked like it never existed. Nobody knew. Right. Like when I go down there, dude. Like we, I, I really was. The, I have a hard time still. Mm. Seven years later, I right. still have a hard time. Yeah. I go down the Seaside Park boardwalk that survived the hurricane that got burned down by the fire. That whole thing that's just like it's kind of desolate there. And mm. It's like and that was like the part of my youth, like my first job, my first kiss, my first beer, my first right. everything. It's gone. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, seven years here we are in a much better place. You know, it still hurts, but, mm -hmm. you know. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate you Yeah. In. Thanks for listening to me blab. That was killer. And then yeah. people should walk down in the casino. You got your, your picture hanging up in there. Yeah. That's weird, too, right? What was that like? Evidently, my it was, it was awesome because <laughs> yeah. Mike McLaughlin's the man, right? <laughs> and so, uh, and of course, you, you know that Van Gogh thing and and uh <laughs> there's a couple looks i could do really well uh -huh. and one of the looks i have down is the thousand yard stare right <laughs> stare. Right. but what i didn't realize was that my eyes follow you and no matter where you go really? in that building when you look at me my eyes follow you when you walk past I and you walk by it again it, it walks past it freaks you out that's awesome yeah it's kind of funny because uh <laughs> Jen Hampton was doing a little tour over there yesterday and she had a bunch of little old ladies giving them an art tour right. and doing all this stuff and I'm, I'm exercising and, and like I've got like a really bad cramp in my calf and like I'm like limping and I'm like oh and she's like oh this is you know and, and right there and right. you know my beard shaved off and, right. and it's just cool man it's, it's just you know what it is it's like you know Asbury Park was saved. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say saved. I hate that word saved. Right. The creative mind, the creatives were the people that brought Asbury Park back in that 
brought in the money people and the developers. Mm, right. Right? Yep. Now we're in a weird spot. Mm. Right. But that part right there for me is a celebration of the people who brought it to that level to where it is right. now. And I'm, and I'm like beyond freaking honor to be even involved in that. Totally. To be honest with you. Right. Yeah. Which is very cool, actually, because now that you put it that way, a lot of times those people get forgotten right? or never acknowledged. Never acknowledged. Right. Hey, man, the early adapters are the first ones that get screwed over. Right. Totally. It's the people who brought, they're the first ones that get screwed over. It's like the second and third generation right. of people who are like, oh, look at us, look at us. <laughs> you know, here's my, here's my thing. Right. You know? No, that's very So cool. that's kind of like, you know, just remembering that, that you know, Jen, Porkchop, yeah. Mike McLaughlin, Angie Sugram, you know, that, that works at Madison Marquette. You know, um, my, you know, people like Mike Longo who work at the, in the Bond Street Bar, who's an artist and just like, you know, those people who have Andrew Grossman, another, you know, Asbury Park creative business right. guy, you know what I mean? Right. You know, those creative business people there. Um, and now the other people are starting to listen to us and starting to copy us. Right. right? right. So they are, they're starting to take the blueprint, right. the Asbury blueprint. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see, cool. we'll see how far it takes them. Awesome. Because you got to have the people, man. Right. If you don't have those right people, almost like to starting off the conversation, man. Yeah. If you don't have a right group of people at the right time who are willing to work together, mm. then you got nothing. Right. Yeah. So that's true. Yep. Awesome. Stoked. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, man. Okay. Uh, once again, check out Tim Donnelly. Follow him on Instagram at Donnelly C D O N N E L L Y S E A. See here now festival. SeeHereNow.com. Any preview of what to expect for next year? Or do you have any wish lists? More fun. That's sweet. More fun, more sun. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Although, dude, it's hard to get more sun than this yeah, year. That's fine. That We're going to keep it going. That was pretty sweet. Yeah. Time that worked out perfectly. Yeah. All right, Tim, I appreciate you coming in. Thanks, bud. I'm Evan Balmer. Follow me on Instagram at Evan Balmer. Look for the Mullet Cast on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you. The Mulletcast is brought to you by Balmer Law Group, your one stop for entertainment, business, and real estate legal services. Check them out online at balmerlawgroup.com. The Mulletcast is recorded weekly at the Pod Studios in Asbury Park, recorded and mixed by Genevieve Nelson. Your host is Evan Balmer. Follow him on Instagram at Evan Balmer. Get your Mulletcast merch at uncleronniesteabag.com. That's Uncle Ronnie's, R O N N I E S. T-E-E-B-A-G, UncleRonnie'sTeaBag.com. The Mullicast theme was composed and recorded by Tyler Vipe. Follow Tyler online. Check out all his latest musical endeavors at Tyler Vipe Music on Instagram. Mullicast theme vocals were performed by Presley Bomber. Follow her on Instagram at Presley Sky Music. Mullicast voices, laughs, and general shenanigans, courtesy of Madison Bomber and Bryce Bomber.